Good morning. <clears throat> the uh, scripture reading today is, is James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put the bit into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers? Can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dick. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, this morning as we unfold your word, would you impress on us the importance of our words? Would you help us to see that what we say matters? And help us to ground what we say in what you have said already. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it's been, uh, it's been nice to have a little break, a little break last week. You know, sometimes the Lord just gives us opportunities to stop and to catch our breath um, and to rest. And I hope you got to enjoy last week and stop and catch your breath and rest uh, some of, some of you love to just look out at the snow and how beautiful it is. Some of you love to go out and play in it with kids and grandkids. Whatever it is, I hope you were filled up in that. But now we're back uh, into our study of James. We're just pushing everything back by a week. We've been spending, we spent some time this fall, and now we're picking up again this winter looking at James. James is a very short book in the New Testament. It's only five chapters is written by a man named James, who we believe was actually Jesus' brother. So if anybody knew about Jesus, surely it was Jesus' own brother. And James really writes to answer one big question. What does it look like for us to develop a faith that's mature and wise? Not just baby faith, not just infant faith, but how do we really grow and mature in our faith? He really covers three main themes throughout the course of his book, and he kind of bops around and he addresses them, and then he comes back to them later on. This morning, we're going to see that he's in one of those three big themes again, which is speech. 
our words. Now, he's already talked about this once in James 1, and actually he started in James 1 by talking about, uh, he actually said the most important thing about what we say is often what we don't say. We'll remind you of this again later, but he said, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. This morning, he's going to talk more about our words themselves. When we do speak, how do we speak? How do we become wise in what we say? How do we speak wisely? That's our question this morning. And James, uh, he really lays waste to the old adage, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We all know that's categorically false. We've all been hurt by words. And James keys in on that by giving us really three uh, very basic, very small, very unnoticeable images and points out how much more significant those are than we tend to believe. So let's just start by looking at the three basic images that James gives us. These are things, you know, you don't notice these things in everyday life, and yet they hold a lot more power than you realize. First, he talks about horses. I don't know if any of you are horse people, but you can put a bit in a horse's mouth and the bridle and with the reins, and, and, and that tiny little bit in the horse's mouth can control the power of the whole animal. This is an image that we are likely to skip over nowadays because we have much more powerful equipment and machinery than horses. You know, we have big excavators and graders and internal combustion engines and diesel. And, but, but in the ancient world, there was really no, there was no machine. There was nothing more powerful than a horse. And actually, I, my pastoral advice, if you want to understand more of the Bible, go to the state fair or any fair and go to the horse-pulling competition because it will impress you. You know what I'm talking about, right? You go to the horse-pulling competition, and you see those draft horses that are as thick as they are tall, straining and snarling and spitting and drooling and pulling, I mean, tens of thousands of pounds between a team of horses. You'll be impressed at the power of a horse. All of that power can be harnessed just by a little bit right there in the horse's mouth. And you can steer all of that with just that tiny little bit. Image number two, a boat. Some of you are boat people. I don't know if you've noticed this. You know when you're driving, like if you drive through Newcastle or you drive through Rye and you see those, they're not really shipyards, but the boat storage places. I'm not a boat person. Um, and, uh, and you see all the boats that are standing up on, on stilts. You ever notice when you look at the part of the boat that's underwater just how small the rudder of a ship or a boat really is? The boat can be that long, and the rudder is just like that. And yet that teeny little rudder steers the whole thing. And it's, it's, if you don't have a rudder, your boat's going to sink. Why? Because when the waves come, especially in a storm, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, you need your boat to be pointing in the right direction. If your boat is parallel to the waves, and the wave comes and hits the side of your boat, eventually it'll capsize. Your boat needs to point into the waves. That tiny little rudder can be responsible for your life or death. It steers the whole thing. Third image. This is maybe the most powerful, and this is probably, it's been on our minds in the past couple years, a fire. You know, the, um, the National Park Service reports that 90% of wildland fires in the United States are caused by humans. You know that? And they're caused mostly by three things. By campfires that are left unattended, by burning debris, just going out and burning brush, or by negligently discarded cigarettes. Think about that. We, we remember, you know, Smokey the Bear, and we've all heard the image and seen the thing, you know, you just flick a cigarette out the car window, and all of a sudden, 
This is maybe the most dramatic image because a ship can only grow to be so big. There's a limit to how big a ship can be. There's a limit to how big a horse can be. There's almost no limit to how large a fire can grow. Think of the fires that we've seen in California, the campfire, that take that just lay waste to thousands and thousands of square miles. All because somebody tossed a flicked a cigarette right out the window. Three images of very small things, a spark, a rudder, the bit in a horse's mouth that have tremendous power to control something very powerful. James says our words are just like that. We don't give our words much thought, just like you don't, when you're on a, even if you're on a boat, you won't probably think much about the rudder itself. And that's exactly the problem. Because if we knew just how powerful our words are and how permanent they are, they last, they linger, we might be much more careful when we open our mouths. We don't actually need the examples that James gives here. They're helpful in conveying the magnitude of it, but we know from experience just how powerful words can be, don't we? both positively and negatively. Negatively, I I bet, I'd be willing to bet that every single one of us here is carrying some wounds, plural, probably many wounds, from things people have said to us over the years. Maybe something that somebody said to you decades ago that you can't shake. Maybe they meant it. Maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe they don't even realize they said it. Maybe they've forgotten, but you haven't. We know how powerful words are. And isn't it sobering to think that 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 person might have said something to you that they didn't even realize they were saying, and our words that we don't even realize we're saying might linger just as long in somebody else's mind. There is good news, by the way, it's easy to talk about the negatives and think about how powerful and dangerous, and that's appropriate. Just, just like if, if I'm, you know, with, with um, my daughter Elliot and, and she's dealing with something powerful, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress on her the danger of it, and yet there's tremendous good that can come from that. Think about how positively powerful words can be. You know, the old trope about somebody who's an unlikely success and the, the, the reporter in an interview asked them, what, what led to this? And they said, you know, I can trace it all back to that one teacher I had who believed in me. And of course, we can all think of hurtful things that people have said to us over the years, but can't you also recall some powerfully positive, beautiful, life-giving things that people have said to you over the years? Wendell Berry, I don't know if you like to read Wendell Berry, but in his novel, Hannah Coulter, he writes this. He says, A woman doesn't learn that she's beautiful by looking in a mirror. She learns it so that she actually knows it from men. The way they look at her or talk to her makes a sort of glimmer as she walks in. That tells her, and it changes the way she walks, too. Now, Wendell Berry is, I mean, if you, if you read, you know he's a, just a sharp observer. That a man changes, or excuse me, a man tells a woman she's beautiful, and what happens? 
It's, it's not just like it makes her a little happy. It changes how she walks. It changes reality. Isn't that amazing? That as we're thinking about how powerful a word is, do you realize that your words are not just a vapor that vanishes in the wind? Your words change reality. Just like a man tells a woman, I think you're beautiful, and it changes how she carries herself and sees herself. That's how powerful words can be. And they can be powerfully productive or they can be powerfully destructive. Now, in some ways, this is a weird sermon to preach. Uh, the second, as, as we're preaching the second section, the second half of our series in James, I don't know if it makes it easier or harder um, to preach. What James says is really self-evident and obvious. In a sense, you really don't even need to listen to a sermon about it to understand what's, like, you don't need me to explain, here's what James really means. He's very straightforward and obvious. And even as Dick was reading, I'm sure you think, yeah, I, I get it. I see what he's saying. But we have to ask ourselves, if words are that powerful, if they're that loaded, then how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, part of the answer is James has already told us back in James 1. You may remember James says, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because man's anger, human anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. And we've talked and thought a little bit over the past couple of months about uh, even what we've called an outrage culture, that we live in this outrage culture, don't we? We don't live in a culture that seemingly rewards being quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger. We live in a culture that rewards the opposite, being slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger, don't we? A culture that rewards having an immediate reaction, the hottest take, the quickest response, culture that rewards being quick to anger, being outraged at something. As if outrage somehow defines us. How sad is it that we want outrage of all things to define us? In a, in a culture that rewards outrage, I just wonder here, I, I don't know the answer. Can you imagine what it would look like if Christians became known for being the exception to the rule. If followers of Jesus worldwide, but especially in our culture that's quick, quick to outrage, especially on social media, were known not for having the first response or the hottest take, but by just listening. For not immediately jumping into the race to the bottom. Is it possible? I just, again, I wonder that our silence might actually speak a lot louder than all the other shouting voices around us? Is it possible that it might speak louder that we might disagree with something and not immediately voice our disagreement? That we might hear something that we just can't get on board with and bite our tongue? I remember hearing a, a grandparent say this once about, um, she's a grandparent, his, you know, his kids are parenting his grandchildren, and he said, uh, there are times that I just don't agree with the way that my kids are parenting my grandkids, their kids. And he said, it's in times like that that I have to remind myself that the relationship is more important than being right. 
the relationship with my kid is more important than being right. So one really good reminder James gives us, he's already given us, we've talked about this, I don't have to hammer this home, quick to listen, be slow to speak, slow to anger. There's one more principle that we might think about. Again, these aren't really hard and fast. These are principles because how we apply them looks differently in all of our situations. But we've talked about this. What, what if we used words, knowing how powerful they are, to build up instead of tearing down? It's so easy to use words to tear things down, people down, ideas down. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 29. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk. He doesn't define what he means by unwholesome talk, by the way. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Then he says something very similar again in 1 Corinthians, twice actually, in 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Corinthians 10. He uses the exact same phrase. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible. Not everything is helpful. And in verse 1 Corinthians 10.24, he kind of explains. He says, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Everything is permissible. Not everything is, you can translate that Greek word as constructive. It literally means, it's the word for like to build a house. What's he saying? Sure, you, you could say it. And by the letter of the law, technically, it might be okay to say. But the way of wisdom, because remember, James is about wisdom. It's about maturity. The way of wisdom and maturity really demands that we ask, not just, can I say this or not, but should I say this or not? Is this going to be helpful? They just need to hear this. I'm just going to tell it like it is. You can. Is it helpful? Is it wise? Is it loving? Again, this is back to 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's take on it. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. You see how often when we just tell it like it is, are we telling it like it is for our sake, not for their sake? We say it's for their sake. They just need to hear this. And I just need to get it off my chest. <laughs> right? Never mind how our words strike them, and strike might be a very appropriate word in that sense. Is it helpful? By the way, that doesn't just apply about the, to the words we say to people. It applies to the words we say about people to the words we say about other people, when they're not around, build them up or tear them down. I, uh, I did not plan for this sermon to fall on this day. I mean, I kind of did. But actually, I planned this sermon series uh, almost a year ago, back in February 2021. I signed kind of what am I preaching on when and put, put the dates in place. And it just hit me about three weeks ago that this sermon was falling on the Sunday of an annual meeting. Isn't it funny how God just orchestrates the timing of certain things? I've, I've noticed in my years here, let me press in right now, 
This is my eighth annual meeting cycle. There is a tension, like, in our building in the week or two that lead up to the annual meeting. There is a tension in this room on the Sunday of the annual meeting, isn't there? I'm, I'm uh, like, pathologically non-empathetic in some ways. In fact, I took a, um, an Enne- if you know about the Enneagram, I scored a two out of a hundred on the mark of feeling a vibe in a room. So if anybody, it's like all of you can probably feel a vibe in a room better than I can. I, don't, I didn't actually know there was such a thing as a vibe in a room until I took this, this test. And if I feel the tension, then you know there's tension. Isn't that odd that as a, as a church family, we get so tense this one Sunday every year? Now, over the years, I've learned some past stories, and I've heard that there have been some annual meetings that really did not go well. And things were said, thinking about the power and the permanence of words that have lingered. And, and many of you can probably remember things that were said where somebody did not take into account just how powerful or permanent their words might be. Some of you have told me some of those things that were said. As we move to our annual meeting after this service, may we be wise to remember what James teaches. I mean, let's just read. Consider what a great forest is set ablaze by such a small spark. It's, um, I was heartbroken to hear a couple weeks ago that one of our church members has called the annual meeting Sunday the worst Sunday of the year. Can, can we break that cycle, please? Can, can, can this be the year that that stops? Can we break that expectation? It's not easy. I know it's not easy. Um, how often have we tried to change the way we talk? And it works well for a day. Maybe if we're lucky, it works well for a week. But a week or two later, we find ourselves right back where we started. How do we actually change when those habits, those, like we just can't change those habits. They don't, how do we actually change that? James gives us a very important clue. Look at verse 11. If you have your bulletin or your Bible open, James three eleven. he asks just a rhetorical question. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Now, when he's talking about a spring, that's the source of a stream. You know, like, the, remember your third grade geography lesson? The mouth of a river is where the river starts. It's like where it actually, the water somehow bubbles up from the ground. It's the very source of it. You see what James is getting at here? If your words are like the water in a stream, he says you don't, you don't address it by addressing the water itself. The water's there, it's flowing. You have to go to the source. Where does it start? See, James invites us not just to consider our words, but to consider the source of our words. Let me point you to what Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels. He says, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. This is not a mouth issue. This is a heart issue. You see? What we say 
is an overflow of what's in here. So imagine, this is my favorite illustration. I use this all the time. If you've heard me preach for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard me use it. Imagine an apple tree with diseased, mealy, rotten, brown apples. How do you, how do you fix the apples? How do you make them healthy? How do you make that tree grow healthy apples? Well, one approach would be to, to get, you know, go down to the home center and buy a can of red spray paint and just paint every apple this beautiful, vibrant red. And those apples will look good, won't they? But obviously, the tree is still diseased. The apples are still diseased. The diseased apples are a symptom of the problem, not the problem itself. The problem with bad apples is not the apples, it's the tree. You see? The problem lies in the roots of the tree, in fact. The problem is underground. You don't even, you see the symptom of the problem. You don't see the problem because the problem itself lies in the roots. But if you want to fix those apples, one, it's going to take time. And secondly, you know what you have to do? You have to consider the soil. Is it too acidic? Is it too basic? Is there enough nitrogen in the soil? Are they getting all the nutrients they need? Is the tree getting water? Is it getting sunlight? all of these external things that eventually will make the apples healthy, but first you have to make the roots healthy. You see, healthy roots lead to healthy fruit. Healthy roots inevitably. If you get those roots healthy, the apples will become healthy on their own. You don't have to think about them. Don't spray paint the apple red. Healthy roots inevitably bear healthy fruit. Our words, I'm mixing metaphors here, I know, but you get where I'm going. (laughs) Our words are the fruit that grows from our hearts. If you want to change your words, you have to cut deep down to the heart level. Now, how do we do that? Final question. Ironically, by considering words. But not by considering our words. We need something much deeper. We need to go to God's word. Remember this, this, this just, the more I think about this, this baffles me. That God, cre- God created words, he created language, he created speech, he made our brains verbal processing brains, and God created by words. God created with words, he created using words. In other words, when God, when God created the universe, he didn't go out to his little celestial, like, heavenly workshop and get out some tools and, some, and start tinkering around and fabricate No, what did he do? And God said, let there be light, and there was. Let there be land, and there was. Let there be birds, and there were. Like God, God speaks. None of us can do this in the way that God can do it. God speaks, and things are. That's, have you considered that? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Like, there's so much more power in that little sentence than we realize. From the beginning of time, God has used words, his word, to create. And with the same power in his words that God created the universe, with those very same words, out of that very same mouth have come the words, you are you. You are precious 
and honored in my sight. Hmm? Remember how we talked about someone can tell a woman that she's beautiful and it changes reality? Would you believe that you are that woman and God is that man? That God says to you, this is Isaiah 44, you are precious and honored in my sight. You are beautiful. Men, you're going to have to suspend some disbelief here, but like this, <laughs> this is powerful. You are beautiful. I love you. Do you hear God saying to you, I love you more deeply than you even dare hope? That nothing you do can make me love you any less. And in fact, nothing you do can make me love you any more. Do you hear him saying that to you? The more you do, the more you hear that voice of God, the more it will change your heart. The more it will make your roots healthy. And good roots inevitably bear healthy fruit. You see? The word of God will quiet you it will soften you, it will humble you, it will arrest you, it will change you. You can't, you cannot truly hear the word of God and not be changed. It's not possible. And the converse is true too, that if you hear it and aren't changed, you haven't really heard it. Words are powerful. That's by design. God impregnated words with an incredible amount of power. That's a feature, not a bug. And the same God who created using words and the same God who recreates using words, who heals using words, intends for us to so internalize his word, the word who became flesh, that our words become his words. You see? That our words become his word. Brothers and sisters, use your words to generously, generously, deeply offer life, a well of life, not to steal and deal out death. Use your words to create and not destroy, to add beauty to our world and make it more beautiful not to leave ruins in your wake. This is only possible if you look to the Word, the Word who became flesh, who was broken for you so that you might be healed. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we need, we need your Word. Not, a, not just in a shallow like I did my Bible study this morning way, but in a, in a deep, abiding way. Oh, Lord, would you fill us, fill us to the brim with your word, with Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, so that our words might become yours in a sense, creating, healing, restoring beautifying words. 
Lord, heal our broken hearts. Soften our hard hearts. Help us to see that as broken as we are, you sent your son to be broken on our behalf so that we might be healed. It all begins with Jesus. So fix our eyes on him and change us. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.